and welcome to Let's Go to Space, the show about how having a blue sky philosophy can inspire and equip you and your team to connect industry and academia with that specific focus on aerospace education. I'm your host, Shauna Christensen, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Simmons. Hello. And today, being our first episode, we're going to share with you our personal stories and why we decided to create this podcast. We'll discuss what blue sky philosophy is and how you can use it to create ridiculous opportunities that seem, well out of this world. While our focus is particularly on aerospace and CubeSats in education, we'll apply this philosophy to other areas as well. So we'll start with a little introduction. When it comes to aerospace, I'm an unlikely candidate to be a host of the show. But over the last five years, my teaching experience in public speaking and debate classrooms has aligned me with my colleague, Kevin. When he joined our current school a year after me, he and our shared students began writing, uh, began writing proposals for NASA with the goal of building and launching CubeSats. Since then, our shared students have teamed with our congressman to develop legislation supporting NASA's CubeSat launch initiative. And our students have spoken at the local, state, national, and even international level. We've presented this philosophy at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, and we've spoken to all of our state legislators on Capitol Hill as advocates of the aerospace industry. Even though I'm a certified English teacher of grades 6 through 12, I am the K-12 STEM liaison for our local AIAA, or the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics chapter, and have been actively working alongside Kevin to develop the Aerospace and Innovation Academy, an after-school program designed to reach all middle school through high school students. But the real aerospace star of this show is Kevin. You want to tell them a little bit about yourselves? Like, how did you end up working with students who fly satellites? Thank you. Well... I originally, I'm from a small town in the foothills of North Carolina, Mount Airy. A lot of people know it as the background for the show Andy Griffith in the 60s. Uh, I always had a passion for everything NASA and science fiction. I'm a big Star Trek fan. And, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s in the foothills, uh, there, there were limited opportunities to do real aerospace, certainly not at my school. I ended up attending uh, North Carolina State University. I did receive degrees in chemistry and biochemistry. I went to work initially right out of school in cancer research, and I did. I worked in labs for two years, but then I got an opportunity to go to industry, and I spent several years in industry. Um, after that period, I ended up in education in a sort of crazy kind of way, but Working with kids, I saw the opportunity to do all of the aerospace I had always wanted to do. I would just be doing it with students. So I taught for a number of years, about nine years, and then I had an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. for an Einstein Fellowship at the National Science Foundation. While at NSF, they sent me, I went back to Florida to visit the University of Florida, and I met a professor, Dr. Norman Fitzcoy, who taught in the mechanical and aerospace engineering department at UF, and they were building these little satellites called CubeSats. And I immediately saw that that was the vehicle by which we should be training and inspiring and preparing young people to enter the STEM workforce. Well, you want to tell us a little bit about what a CubeSat is? Sure. A CubeSat is a satellite that will that has every function of a, a larger satellite, except that it's very small. Whereas the Hubble was basically the size of a school bus, 
uh, a CubeSat typically are on the scale of a uh, 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters, which is a little bit bigger than a box that you might find a softball in, uh, up into the size of a loaf of bread. Those are called 1Us and 3U CubeSats. And, and they are, a, a lot of our, our CubeSats are, fall in that range. So my students and I focus on the smaller version, the, the 10 by 10 by 10 centimeter size. Oh, okay, great. Well, so tell me a little bit about how you, you know, you came to the school where I met you sure. and, and how you started getting kids excited about this kind of thing. Sure. I had worked at the National Science Foundation for six years and I had learned about CubeSats in the first few months I was there. And while I was there, I started a company with another Einstein fellow by the name of John D. Moore. And uh, we started Blue Cube Aerospace. And the idea of Blue Cube Aerospace was to, uh, the word blue is meaningful in the name of the company because it stands for build, launch, utilize, and educate using CubeSats. And that was our uh, intent was to uh, really use the CubeSat as a vehicle to really try to move the needle in, in education. And then when my time at NSF was up, I, be, I began looking for a school that would let me see if we could build a CubeSat. And it had been done at two high schools already. So CubeSats began in 2000. They, they were created around the year 2000. The first ones flew in space in 2003. By, and they were created by professors at Caltech, I'm sorry, at uh, Stanford and Cal Polytech. Um, uh, Jordy and uh, Professor Twiggs, they, they created the CubeSat and the container that would hold them, which we use the abbreviation Peapod. And in the 20 years since they first rolled this out, uh, Professor Twiggs, they've become the tool that basically all universities with a good engineering program, they have built and flown CubeSats in space. In fact, you would be hard pressed to find somebody in the aerospace industry that works in satellites that did not uh, build a CubeSat when they were in college for all the, the kids. So that's a really important sort of a uh, tool and set of skills that you get in working. But when it came time to leave NSF, I saw that while just a couple of high schools had built a CubeSat. No middle school had ever built one. So I was offered a job and given the opportunity to take this vision and see if I could run with it in a school in Palm Beach County, Florida uh, called the Y School. So that's where I taught for the next uh, six years. And we were selected, the first middle school selected in 2017. And then on December 3rd, 2018, we did launch our first CubeSat uh, the YSAT one, which I think we might be talking about in some later episodes. Yes, definitely. I think that's going to be the subject of an upcoming episode as well. But so you're, you're telling me a little bit about CubeSats. And of course, when I first met you, I mean, let's kind of revisit that for a moment. So here I was, I was just the public speaking and the debate educator there at the school. And of course, we're, we're a small school, so we shared the same students. So here I would hear, you know, these, these kids talk about, oh, yeah, CubeSats. And I didn't know what they were talking about. But I instantly realized that you guys were off and doing all of these kind of presentations and these field trips. You want to share a little bit about how you take kids out into the community to talk about this and sure. kind of explain how I got involved? Sure. Well, the first very first trip uh, that we went on uh, sort of had its beginnings 10 years earlier. So before I had become a fellow, I had 
been invited by um, the director of the Florida Space Grant Consortium to go to Washington, D.C. with him and help advocate on behalf of the budget. So the Space Grant Network, uh, each state uh, receives some funding from NASA. And the goal is typically to engage in research projects for university students and sometimes educators. Well, I had received some grants from Dr. J.D. Mukherjee, the director of the Space Grant Consortium. And he said, we're going to go to Congress, all the directors from around the country, and we advocate so that NASA, you know, that Congress will fund NASA and keep this budget at a certain level. And Dr. Mukherjee said, I'd like you to come and then speak about what you've done with the grant that I've given you. And I suggested that he let me bring a student as well, because if I could make an impression with the legislators, I think a 15-year-old student would make even a better impression. Right. I mean, because when you get kids involved, it seems to be more so, likely that people are willing to listen to you. So I, I took a student uh, with me and we accompanied Dr. Mukherjee. And he was so successful. I just started taking students on my own uh, to Tallahassee and to um, Congress in Washington, D.C. And then I accepted the fellowship. I was in D.C. for six years. Immediately upon going back to uh, the classroom, I wanted to engage the students and take them back to Congress to call on the Florida legislators uh -huh. through a couple of events I had been involved with now for years and years. One is the Space Exploration Alliance Legislative Blitz, which is a, the SEA is an umbrella organization of a, a numerous nonprofits, and they advocate for, uh, you know, healthy um, uh, exploration and, and meaningful, uh, you know, aerospace programs. And another is the AIAA, American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, their Congressional uh, Visits Day. So through these two national advocacy grassroots efforts, um, I, I had been taking students, but then when you and I met, uh, you agreed to accompany us on the very first trip we went to Washington, D.C. Oh, man, that 2016. was 2016. That was that was like one of the lowest points in my life at that point with things that were going on with me personally and to kind of accompany that trip. But in retrospect, it definitely changed my perspective, not only about what we were doing with the students or what you were doing with the students, uh, but how I could see myself as an educator as well. Do you want to share a little bit about blue sky philosophy and kind of like, you know, because really that is what we employ when we're working with the students. And I know that, you know, that's kind of what this podcast is about as well, how we can kind of reach these ridiculous goals that I remember you talking about. Um, you know, so do you want to share a little bit about what blue sky philosophy is and kind of how you came to use that philosophy with our students? Sure. Um, I sort of embrace a blue sky learning philosophy that I just sort of took all the principles that I believe were most important in being a good educator. And I put that phrase on it, but it gets its origins back. Uh, in the, the origin of the phrase blue sky learning can sort of be drawn back to blue sky research. So in the past companies, uh, if you think about Ma Bell and IBM, they had these fantastic research labs decades ago where they would do theoretical research. They would, they would do basic research to learn the unknown and to discover things without having a, uh, the pressure or the burden to immediately turn their research into something profitable for uh, the company. 
And through that, we had remarkable breakthroughs. If you think about biochemistry and genetics and molecular biology and uh, just wonderful things, learning for the sake of learning is um, well worth it. But the blue sky, if you think about blue sky, you also get the idea that uh, there are no limits and the goal can sometimes be um, what we refer to as just ridiculous. You And it's not my phrase, but it's often been said that um, if you have a, a big, hairy, audacious goal, those are the ones that you can really, uh, if you get students involved with big, hairy, audacious goals, or we sometimes joke about them being ridiculous, and then you go out and do them, you, you'll end up inspiring kids and their lives will be changed for the better. So that's what blue sky learning is. You, you, we take a ridiculous goal. For instance, 10, 12 year olds should not be able to build satellites and conduct meaningful advocacy or uh, go to space. And yet we've already done it once. We're about to do it twice. We plan on just doing it as a matter of pattern and habit, not that it's you know, we're going to make the ridiculous more normal for these young kids. Right. That's so, it. So when you say blue sky, though, you're right. Most people say the sky's the limit. But I think what you're suggesting is that with the blue sky philosophy, that's just the beginning. Right. So you're reaching for the sky and ultimately you're launching satellites into space. So it goes beyond that. Right. So how do you how do you take something it's, that seems daunting and, and get kids to buy into that when they can barely like, you know, get up for school? Well, in in short, if you think about the little phrase about how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's exactly it. Um, you, you take this enormous, unobtainable, out of reach goal, and you simply break it into a series of deliverables that are much more manageable for the students. And um, I had the privilege of working for an oncologist years ago at the Bowman Gray School of Medicine at Wake Forest University. When I was in high school, I worked for an oncologist and I would take care of his, his rats and make drugs and inject uh, the mice and we would harvest tissues and he would do cancer research. But he could take these very complex ideas and he could make them so simple to understand. And I think I've modeled, I've tried to model my teaching style a lot after him and after my chemistry and biology teachers in high school. And they had a way of taking, again, complex material, making it understandable. Same way with a blue sky goal. You take something that's so far ridiculous and out of reach, uh, how would you go to space or, or young kids going to space? And you organize that work, that massive project into a series of smaller deliverables. And then you have these, these little gates that you're striving for. And then it's just a matter of taking the kids with you and showing them how to do it and especially giving them enough room to um, exercise their own skills and interests, but giving them a chance to fail as well. So let me make sure that I'm understanding it correctly and for our listeners as well. So a blue sky philosophy is the idea that you set a ridiculous, unachievable goal, and then you really don't buy into the fact that you can't achieve it. You just kind of set about how do we break this into smaller parts so that we can get this you know, this task done, that sometimes takes a little bit longer than, than maybe, you know, the average person might think when they have a goal, right? I mean, is this, this is a long-term effort? Absolutely. And, um, our satellites are two, three year plan, uh, two to three year processes. And, and 
frankly, young people today, and a lot of people, they have a mentality of uh, instant gratification. So that's something you have to address. Also, there's um, a lot of young people, young, a lot of students have a fear of failure, so they become risk adverse. And whereas if you're doing aerospace, that's already difficult to begin with. And uh, I like to show little video clips of all these rocket explosions because of, uh, you know, going to space is hard. So we, we, you know, in addition to taking a project that can't be done overnight, can't be done easily, you, you have to be willing to fail. And so we fail often. And that's okay because we always learn from our failures. Great. Well, I, you did a TED talk on this. I know that I had the privilege of organizing a TEDx event um, at the school. You actually spoke about blue sky philosophy. Do you want to share about that? My favorite story from that is actually how when you were this little kid, like how all you wanted to do was to go to space. So, you know, do you want to share a little bit about how that little kid ultimately created this idea of how you could actually get there? Well, and where can we where can they still hear this TEDx? Uh, the TED Talk, I believe the TED Talk does have blue sky learning and the disruptive education in the title. I do, uh, as a child, the closest I could get to NASA was a NASA stamp collection. So this was the mid 70s. And I was, you know, we're at the, uh, we had just finished the moon landings. The shuttle was something everyone was talking about. And also, uh, you know, the $6 million man was one of my favorite shows on TV and, and Star Trek was in reruns already, but I aspired to be in aerospace, but I was not sure how to get there. And, you know, as, as life moved on, I ended up, uh, you know, we ended up flying, uh, even though I'm a biochemist, uh, in our first satellite, we did fly, uh, a biological payload on our first CubeSat. So very exciting. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the first CubeSat because I want to go back to, you know, you mentioned the CubeSat launch initiative and ultimately um, that's really how some of your students have been selected. You've been selected not only once, but twice to build launch and, and to, to get these satellites up there. So tell us a little bit about what the CubeSat launch initiative is and how you got a bunch of kids and middle school levels to get involved in that. With writing proposals. Sure. The CubeSat Launch Initiative is a NASA program uh, that comes through the ALANA. It's, it's part of the ALANA program. It's an opportunity through the ALANA program, and ALANA stands for the Educational Launch of Nanosatellites. So when you see these rocket launches, um, one thing you need to know is that the engineers never cut it so close that you're at the maximum capacity of the rocket's performance capability. There's always some extra mass there with that rocket. And what um, folks in aerospace figured out is you could fly secondary payloads. You could fly smaller satellites uh, for on the cheap because the primary customer for a rocket, let's say a, a communication satellite or the defense department, uh, they're paying the freight for that rocket, but there is the capability and the space on that rocket that you could uh, put some much smaller payloads. And that's exactly how, you know, these CubeSats started going to space as secondary payloads. So NASA has a competition or they have a program every year where they have a call for proposals through the CubeSat launch initiative. Typically the deadline is in the late fall, early winter, and they uh they uh this program says hey if you can build if you if you can show the capability that you can build a cubesat and 
you have an idea that's interesting to us that's sort of aligned with our strategic uh, uh, goals or aims, then you'll be selected. And then you build your CubeSat and then you have it tested. And then NASA will pay for the integration and the flight. And sometimes they pay for the testing as well. And, and that's just a tremendous opportunity. And that is how at our little school we were able to fly our satellite. Great. Well, um, one of the things I know that we'll be looking forward to as we continue this podcast is figuring out about these kind of payloads and really ultimately the effect that it's had on on students. So uh, before we leave for today, though, if you were to give advice to teachers or others who are looking to maybe become part of a group who are interested in employing like blue sky philosophy for a larger task that seems uh, unachievable or even specifically, you know, CubeSats, what would you what would you have told that first year you back when you first first got started, what are some advice that you can give to teachers who maybe want to do great things or or university professors who are looking to start a CubeSat team? What advice would you have given your beginning yourself as we close today? Well, first of all, I, I always think that you can only be really exceptional if you are working in the area around which you have a, a passion. You've got to stay to what you know and love and and that's easy, right? It's not really work if you're doing something that you just love. Second, you need to find everybody and create a network of associates and professionals. Find everybody that is in the field that you want to be in, that is doing the work that you want to do and learn everything you can from them. There's uh, most people that I found in the CubeSat world, they are pretty good about sharing their knowledge and experience and it's, it's, it's very cooperative. It's, it's, it's both collaborative and, you know, you'll compete. Cooperative? Do you want to explain uh, what that is? Yeah, cooperation is, um, if you think about it, it's, it's sort of a merging of collaboration and competition. And I do, I do use that a lot in the classroom as well. But mm -hmm. there are times that you compete against others, and then there's times you collaborate. And that's exactly what you need to do is build the biggest network you can, uh, fill it with as many rock stars that do whatever it is that you want to do and learn from them and then share along the way. That's my, uh, that's what I would recommend. Great. Well, thanks for sharing all that out, Kevin. And I know that we will all look forward to hearing more about the blue sky philosophy and its applications, especially its impact even on the students who have participated. In fact, I think that's our plan for some of our, our next episodes really is to talk to some of those students. So we look forward to you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us on this first episode. We hope that you will join us again. And in the meanwhile, we hope that you'll follow us on Facebook at Aerospace and Innovation Academy and on Instagram at the Aero Innovation Academy. So uh, let's see. We'll see you next weekend. Let's, let's go, go to, to space. space.